This episode of The Only Podcast About Movies was recorded a little bit differently. In Shahir's stead, we had a fantastic guest from the land of Twitch and Discord. So due to having a guest across the magic of the interwebs, please ignore any audio anomalies such as a little bit of a hum, a hiss, a pop, a whoop, a zing, a bow, a pfft, and a or anything like that. You get the idea. And we will be back to our regularly beautiful, crystal clear, wookie free sound next week. And with that in mind, Enjoy the show! What is up, Internet? Everything you've heard about me is true. My name is Matthew Kroll, and this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Solo. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing this extra special. I am not going to be doing this film like the title implies by myself, though Shahir Dowd is not here right now. I am being joined by the wonderful, the talented, the co-creator of Extra Credits, writer, game designer, extraordinary, Mr. James Portnow. Hello, Mr. James. Thank you so much. I think I will probably be taking on Shahir's role of being no fun today. Yay, I love it. You, you know what? You've, this is the role you've been training for your whole life. I'm ready for this. <laughs> Excellent. And the second person, I should say people, is a group of Twitch people in chat. Uh, James and I normally do a sideshow on Twitch every Tuesday, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, called Talking Movies with Matt and James. And we've been doing it for a while, and we thought, hey, why not combine both? Because... I'm now, I guess, part of the Extra Credits family as well. We're doing this whole thing. That's my big announcement I made uh, sort of the, on Monday's, on last Monday's episode uh, that I'll be narrating and showing Extra Credits. So I wanted to bring everyone together to talk about, well, I, I, this, this film, James. This film. This, this is a film this that is has... This film. Yes, air I quotes all the way. I not much about it. It is, um, how do I put it? It is, it has Star Wars in the title. It does. Um, it's even in the Star Wars font. Yep, the Star Wars font. No, no crawl. A minor spoiler, everybody. There is no crawl, but we kind of knew that after Rogue One. Uh, the the side stories I don't think are going to have the crawls is really, um, you know, that's that makes me sad. But you know, it's all good. Um, James, how how are you? Before we even start talking about Solo, how are you feeling about Star Wars in general? So as we talked about last time. I am concerned because they're clearly trying to universize it in the way that they're doing the Marvel Universe. But right. they're trying to do it in a really awkward way because you've got sort of your traditional movie storytelling that's going on with the uh, main series. And then you've got the anthology sort of uh, storytelling, your traditional episodic storytelling at least, uh, that you would more often see in television that they're going with with the side stories. That the episodic storytelling works for Marvel because they're all episodes within a universe. But they never resolve, right? Right. Whereas here, we have a storyline that has resolution. And in fact, we've had two other trilogies that have had a full resolution. And yet we're trying to, in parallel, also have the unresolved episodes within the universe. So I think that's challenging, to say the least. Not only are they... Uh, working with two different audience of two different um, ways of storytelling, they're functionally working with two different audiences. Because at this point, it seems very much to me like Disney is trying to sell nostalgia to the people who grew up with Star Wars while simultaneously selling it for the kids, right? Mm -hmm. But one of those audiences is is old now. Uh, <laughs> they're our age, at least. Uh, is it us? Are we them? Us. We are the olds. Um, oh. But, and I feel like there's a lot of conflict in that storytelling. I feel like Rogue One, to me, executed a little bit better because it seemed to know its audience. It had less, uh, less attempt to sell toys to chillins, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that this film struggles with that two audience perspective, two audience, two target audiences as well. Well, and there's also, I'm going to even, I'm going to go a step further and say it struggles with a third audience. Yeah. And that audience, I think they were trying to sort of pick into, which is the people that aren't really into Star Wars in general. Sure. Uh, they, they, they marketed this thing um, very much, I believe it might have been a DJ Alternative in the chat was saying that they marketed it um, a lot of things, almost like an uh, Ocean's 8 or, or Ocean's 11 uh, heist, real heisty movie, but you didn't get that. 
you got sort of Fast and the Furious. Now, that could be your your speed of it, and that could be what you like. But I was actually, we got an email uh, from a friend of the show, Steve, who is actually the assistant editor on the wonderful film I, Tonya. If you haven't oh. seen I, Tonya, uh, please check that out. That movie should have won way more Oscars. Um, but basically, uh, Steve was saying that he was showing the prequels to his wife to get her uh, to be a completionist before going to see Solo. She doesn't, she never watched him. She didn't really care. And something weird sort of happened where she said that, um, you know how everyone kind of uh, talks down to Jake Lloyd's uh, portrayal of tiny Anakin Skywalker in Phantom Menace. Sure. Um, he was saying that his wife actually was like, it was fine. He was a nine or 10 year old boy and they're annoying sometimes. Like right. that's basically, so, and then it got him thinking. He basically said, when we approach these big films with such specific expectations uh, and the film departs from those expectations, fans become disappointed and view it differently than if they were able to watch it fresh. The Last Jedi turned off a lot of fans because expectations set up by Force Awakened and previous Star Wars films, it kind of flipped. But for those who aren't super fans, like, uh, like his wife in particular, like these other moments that a lot of people really don't. And perhaps Hollywood needs to stop making films about pre-existing characters for pre-existing audiences and start writing new characters and new worlds. And it might be able to solve that problem. <laughs> so while I want to put in my two cents for absolutely Hollywood should write new characters and new worlds, Marvel walks that line really well, actually. Like there are lots of people who I know who weren't comic book fans who yeah. had only the vaguest sense of who Iron Man was, um, who had never read an Iron Man comic, who came in, who enjoyed Iron Man, and then ended up being Avengers fans, right? Yes. Um, and I feel like that is n was not as successful in this film. No, and I think it's because this film, and now we're going to start getting into a little bit of, uh, not, not spoilers, but stuff you already know if you've watched Star Wars. Right. Fun fact about things that don't happen in this movie. Han Solo, Chewie, and Lando Calrissian, nothing really happens to them. Uh, nothing. So nothing I want to talk about stakes, right? Because you're absolutely yeah. right. This film has zero stakes because you know what's going to happen, where those characters are going to end up. Yeah, which is which then leads you into the other pitfall of oh, only character defining things are going to happen to characters we uh, don't know yet. But that doesn't have to be true, right? Because you can start Han as very optimistic or whatever, and you can show his progression to becoming the jaded person that we see in the Star Wars films, right? right. We don't have to not have character progression because we know where someone is later in their character progression arc. We just know they're not going to die. Yeah, and, and it's funny, that that is, the, I, I, I didn't mean to put it that way if that's how it sounded. That's a lot of the criticism that this film has gotten already of just, oh, it's nothing can happen to these people, so who cares? You're right, James. You can change a character. You can have them grow. The problem, uh, as we're getting into a little bit minor spoilers in this film, is that doesn't happen. He's Han Solo, exactly how we remember Han Solo, just younger. And especially in the first third of this film, it, it, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, nothing matters. I was shocked how much I didn't care until, and you've seen this in the trailer, there's a train heist, until around the train heist, or maybe even, like, the Mud War planet beforehand where, you know, stuff goes down there. I was surprised at how much the characters ceased to care about what happened during the train heist 20 minutes later in the film, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like... Uh, we're gonna while avoiding spoilers still, uh, there are a lot of characters that die in this film, but one, I think the PG rating is tough. I think PG is not the right spectrum for a Han Solo film. I would rather see they Logan it, right? Um, yeah. And uh, a lot of the death sequences here to me were comical. They were actually real bad because there's no blood, there's no nothing, and like characters sort of just almost like not exactly make light of their own demise, but for the most part, like, have cheesy one-liners as they die, and then they do the very typical, like, shutter, eyes roll back, overacting thing. Um, right, even the, even a CG character. Oh, uh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> well, it, okay, so... We're, we're talking a little bit about the problems that this film is, that is, has, but I think it's important that even before we get into spoilers, we talk about the problems that this film had going through 
production. Sure. Because they are front and center, and you can't talk about Solo, a Star Wars story, without talking about these. So the film was about 90% done while it was still being directed by the Lego movie duo uh, Lord and Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or Millar. And the... Basically, the studio was not happy with the tone that they were setting, and and they kept trying to course correct. They were actually trying to make it feel a little more Guardians, a little more a little more harsher, uh, abrasive comedy, I guess you'd call it, as opposed to like wacky comedy that Star Wars seems to like one-liners and nonsense. Um, and they actually said uh, at one point they made comparisons to comparisons to um, uh, Han. Uh, I can I'm gonna butcher his name, but we're gonna do it. Alden Eichenreich. Uh, maybe I'll just call him Alden from here on out. Alden's performance of Han Solo, they were getting dailies back and someone leaked. They said it was more akin to him being Ace Ventura. Like yeah. it was, it was way outside of, of, of what Disney a, a was comfortable right. with, with the star Wars stuff. Now I'm not saying um, that, I mean, you're, I'm li literally giving you the, the fourth degree of a story, but um, there's pros and cons to stepping out of the box. And I, here, that, there's got to have been pros. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so then on June of 2017, Lord and Miller were fired with only three weeks to go. Uh, me, <laughs> oh my god. Meaning, so there's a there's a there's a rule in the Directors Guild of America standards that any director that completes more than 90% of principal photography is guaranteed a certain level of control in the edit, mm. uh, in in the post production uh, workflow, and. Uh, they cut them off right before they hit that. They brought in Ron Howard, Mr. Fixer, and they basically, I think they reshot something like 70% of it. They even recast, um, they recast uh, the bad guy who um, Paul Bettany plays. Um, oh, It was really? supposed to be someone else. Um, but they just did it not because of a performance issue, but because of a scheduling issue because sure. they had to go back and reshoot so much. So the entire time I was watching this and while I was being the, the first thing was I was being underwhelmed. Yeah. Then, because of my underwhelmment, I started to try to look at it from a filmmaker's perspective and a film craft perspective. And I have to tell you, the fact that this movie came out in one continuous piece, like, as we, we were joking before, but it's a movie. And it's, I would say, spoiler alert for my opinion, it's okay. It's an okay movie i think i would I'm not give it marginal i would okay. give it like a star and a half like it's a uh, film that a person could watch like if you were on a plane and there were no other films <laughs> and you really needed something because the person next to you was snoring very loudly Fun fact about watching films on planes, because the oxygen level is different, your brain actually experiences emotions slightly more uh, heightened, and therefore you will actually have a more <laughs> a stronger emotional resonance to a film you watch on an airplane than if you would back on the ground. So, so reassess all your lives. The movie theaters of the future are either deoxygenated or a thousand feet in the air. Oh man, that would be great. I would, I would love. Cinema. I would go back and watch Drive. <laughs> I would go watch all the films I disliked. Uh, <laughs> I love it. In the chat, uh, Sayunix uh, says, Star and a half, damn James is not holding back. Well, this We're not going to. So, I just by the way, oh. just so everybody knows, with me, uh, I like the idea of actually, like, we're, we're very generous in our ratings. Um, like, I think that this is a, like... 40%, right? Um, mm -hmm. My time, I'm super pretentious, and I would say, like, I probably don't really think my time is, if it's not an 80% or higher, right, like, I don't really want to go. And... I, yeah. I totally get that. I totally get that. I am of the ilk, and this is why, this is the perfect Shahir uh, cipher. Right. Because, because that is exactly how I think Shahir feels. Uh, I am... I, I will not say I'm not pretentious. I will say I'm a different kind of pretentious where I want a 50% for me. If I break even <laughs> with my, I, I call that just breaking even with my time, which this film did. Uh, I, I don't call it a win, but I'm also not scorned by it. And the fact that I could look at and research and figure out and try to try to piece together from a filmmaking perspective, how this film was cobbled and to, to, 
I don't think this film feels particularly cobbled on its surface, but the, the, a lot of the reasons why it doesn't uh, resonate emotionally are due to that cobbling. So just so you know, I mean, I think that adds a lot to it. And uh, I, so for your audience who doesn't know me, I'm also a game designer by trade. Uh, someone I knew once was the design director on a film and literally broke his, I mean, on a game and literally broke his back. And Got that game out. They did design meetings in his hospital room for months and months, right? Wow. Um, and the game got like a 75, 78 on Metacritic, which is bad for games, but like not mm -hmm. terrible. It's just like you said, fine. Um, and n no one realized, right, the heroics that went into that game ever shipping. So yeah. I will absolutely give you that there is something that all the people who got this to ever get to a theater should be lauded for that, but as a work of art on its own, independent of the creation, to me, the only thing that outside of the creation, I mean, outside of the work itself, is relevant is the fact that this is a solo movie, right? Like, you have all this, how can you make a solo movie that's not better than this? Is yeah. my problem. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a couple things, and, and by the way, I think more people uh, in America and in the world agree with you, sir, because the box office for this thing ain't doing good. Uh, its domestic total right now is 103, uh, and 59% of that, I believe, was opening weekend. Uh, and then d foreign is even worse at, at 69 million. Uh, worldwide, 172 million. I believe this is a almost a 400, well, I know, it's. I forget... I think once you add up marketing, it's like between the four hundred and five hundred million dollar budget range. It might not make its money back. And for a Star Wars movie not to do that, right? That's got to get people it's questioning tough. some things. So th this this film, beyond all the problems that we've talked about, this film has a ton of issues. Even outside, I'm not even talking about its production. I'm not even talking about the piece of art we're going to be talking about. Whoa, let's back up. I'm talking about this is a story that no one wanted to see, mm -hmm. that we knew all the interesting parts of already, that contains characters that do not change, and that does nothing to expand, really, outside of a small couple minor things, our understanding of this, quote, new shared universe. Plus, there is uh, a bit of what I've discussed before, because Star Wars was not designed to be this. Marvel had tacks on pieces and then grows those pieces, uh, Star Wars seems to chip away at its innards and then try to display the innards somewhere. Uh, this is, uh, there, there is a, a level of Star Wars fatigue. It used to be something special when you went to go see a Star Wars movie in the theater because they were kind of rare, and now we're getting one to two a year. And that's something I don't think um, they, 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 with their current model really works. So they have a lot going against them from all directions. So I'm going to add to that the plot was also incoherent, and most of it seemed written around, like, this idea of trying to justify a single line that Lucas screwed up years and years ago, and rather than just letting it be a joke or letting it be a, a mistake, they wrote half the film around it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, think about, think about the level, I mean, James, you're a writer, think about something you wrote, I don't know, 20 years ago yeah. in a piece and that you just like, oh, oh crap, I have a deadline. We got to get this done. And then you right. just write something like making the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. Right. And then your thing becomes such a hit that now a whole movie's second act has to revolve around it with a giant action set piece. It doesn't have to, right? So even if True. you want to justify that line, how hilarious would this be? So can we start getting into a little bit of spoilers? Well, yes. Let's do this real quick. Uh, I'm going to read the IMDb movie uh, description, as is tradition. All right. Uh, because it's always tradition. fun to see how much they get it right. Here we go. During an adventure into the criminal underworld, Han Solo meets his first co-pilot, Chewbacca, and encounters Lando Calrissian years before joining the Rebellion. Yes. Those, those are events. Those things happen. I mean, <laughs> a ship flies places and does stuff with people on it. Um, <laughs> like, yes, welcome to the movies. Uh, so, okay, first, I got to get into the Kessel Run thing, right? 
Because yes, spoilers town. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Run away, chat, and people listening at home if you don't want them. Right, and if you're stepping forward a little bit with us, this won't be super spoilers, at least the beginning, but right. So we all remember um, the sort of famous Han Solo line about making the Castle Run in 12 parsecs. Mm-hmm. A parsec is, is not a unit of time. It's a unit of space. Uh, and so this entire film is justifying how he made a like trip that is a certain number of space units, certain number of miles long in less miles, right? Um, and what's bonkers about this is it's a shipping route, right? Like it's like yep. saying I made the run from uh, Milwaukee to St. Louis in 50 less miles than is the drive from Milwaukee to St. Louis. Um, It just makes no sense. But someone felt like they couldn't just justify this. If they had just come in, and they could have made it hilarious if the Kessel Run was actually just 12 parsecs long, and no one knows. He just says it in a very Han Solo impressive fashion, and people think it's an impressive thing, but nobody knows the stupid shipping route, and so, like, he just gets to say that, even though it's just actually 12 parsecs long, but instead, they say, oh, it's 18 parsecs long, and it's surrounded by dangerous stuff, and so half the movie is about Han Solo taking a shortcut to, that nobody else has taken um, to make the Kessel Run shorter than it is, rather than just allowing this to be a screw-up where Lucas found a cool science word that he thought meant a unit of time and instead was a unit of space. It's, yeah, I mean, the the whole exercise of that... Uh, well, okay, we're, we're, we're poo-pooing on this film quite a bit. I will say that that sequence when they're escaping and going through all the stuff was interesting looking. I was a little, I knew nothing would happen to the Millennium Falcon, but I liked the creature design. I liked the gravity well. I liked a lot of things in it. The creature uh, design was cool, but like, please God, give me a Star Wars without an asteroid sequence with the Millennium Falcon flying through it. That is true. But if you're going to have a solo movie, you're going to have an asteroid sequence of the Millennium Falcon flying through. No! No! (laughs) No! Right? Uh, I feel like Logan really is the template for this of you don't have to do all the expected things. Um, I mean, sure, Logan has fight scenes and claws, but they were different than some of the fight scenes and claws we had seen in previous Wolverine films. Um, Right. We can find there are cool things that you can do, even in a Millennium Falcon, that don't involve flying through an asteroid field while TIE fighters are chasing you and they're hitting the asteroids and you're not. I, they, they tried, they, it's funny, they took that sequence, and now we're getting into more, you know, micro spoilers. They took that sequence and tried to spice it up, but at the end of the day, it is in fact just that. There's parts that happen in the dark, which I thought were very cool looking. There's parts that happen in sort of lightning storms, which kind of just felt like Mad Max, but I hadn't seen it in a Star Wars movie. Uh, I even like the, the, the shot, and it, it's not even an important shot really, but when the Star Destroyer is blocking the Kessel Run, which causes Han to have to make the thing. By the way, having uh, claiming that, that unit of measure thing, that he can travel a units of measure quicker than there are the units of measure or whoever it was going, sounds a lot like a dad brag. That sounds like something my dad would say like when he got to a cookout, being like, oh, I took 93 and I made it, I made it here in 20 minutes. They're like, it's 35 minutes away. It's like, no, 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 well, it's 20. But no, what he's saying is, is... Uh, 20 miles, 20 right. miles. I took, yeah, I took 93 and made it in 20 miles, right? And everybody's like, wait, no, 93 is literally 35 yes. miles long, right? Like, <laughs> But it just, it strikes me as something my father would right. say. So shout out to my dad <laughs> and his wonderful bragging ability. Um, the, the, you're right. You, we could do more with it and we should for instance now uh, we're gonna back up a little bit that's like the the third big set piece the beginning of this film when han's like a a child junker troublemaker with uh kira uh played by daenerys stormborn herself uh and they have like a a friendship or a romance or a relationship because the movie tells us that they do and then they're split up and then, thanks to script conveniences, they're thrown back together again. I don't really mind all that. I'll I'll bypass the fact that it was sloppy and that I that it was it was trying to get to quote the good stuff of the movie. But to your point earlier, James, just 
start at the good point of the movie. We so, don't need all well, that, that stuff. That's, so part of the problem to me is none of that stuff really built to anything, right? No. Like, we didn't, you're correct. We didn't need that stuff. And I am willing to forgive a film uh, contrivances if mm -hmm. it brings me to good things. But, like, I had a whole series of... Them just, like, him randomly running into her in the most unlikely of all possible circumstances. I mean, I guess never tell me the odds, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I was waiting for you to drink. I thought you had him. No. Oh, um, you were close. I was about to drink tea, and James almost got it to me to spit it all over my expensive audio equipment. That's what we do. Um, but I'm willing to forgive that if... They need to do that in order to have some complex evolving relationship there, right? Um, I thought that she was going to be the reason that Solo becomes a jaded individual. And I thought she was going to have a lot of character growth because they've been separated for a bunch of years. I thought that's what they were trying to show us was yeah. like these different life paths and how being part of this crime syndicate, which Solo sort of pseudo left the life he sort of drifts into... Yeah. Um, affects a person and instead then we get her in the cape twirling scene where like not that much later she's still even though she's supposed to be way more hardcore than solo at this point like killed lots more people than solo she's still reduced to sort of a girly princess trope um yeah yeah and and i don't care how many references you make to the star wars fighting game to describe her <laughs> fighting style i'm glad you got that too uh, that's what they, what's it called? Tessa, what, I don't even know the words. Do you remember? Yeah, no. Uh, okay. There was a Star Wars fighting game that was awful, but they used the, the type of fighting that Kira knows is the name of it. If chat knows it, please type it in and we'll, we'll, we'll call out that gem. Um, yeah, she, uh, was the exact same person we had met when they were both like imprisoned children picking pockets or whatever. Right. Um, and, and we kept getting, she never was damseled. But she was still that, it's a different bad female trope, in my opinion, and it's the, if you knew what I did, you'd never talk to me again. Like, that sort of thing. Like, there's just, like, I think Movie Bob, actually, friend of the show, and uh, James as well, Movie Bob, said that, like, she's basically walking around with a ask me about my dark secret sign over her head the entire time, and it's just like, <sighs> but none of that darkness affects her, right? That's no. the problem. And that's why I'm saying, like, very princess-like, because... We don't get the, we don't get this change from when she's a child to, she's now a lieutenant of a major crime boss in like, and all the time they're referencing this serious darkness that she has, Yeah. but she acts like a person who's equally carefree and equally blasé about the world to the person that we saw right at the beginning. I mean, maybe even more so, like now she seems more carefree and more like happy-go-lucky than we saw at the beginning. I would have even liked a scene where we see her, maybe Han sees her doing something before, uh, and this doesn't happen, I'm saying I want this, uh, like Han sees her being like an evil, uh, you know, badass at some point, and he's like, what the heck? And then uh, then he runs into her, and she changes her tune a little bit back to the way she was yeah. around him, like and we got that dichotomy, but we don't get that. Instead, we get basically a Terras Kasai master, thank you WC the right hand for giving me the name of the fighting style, and 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 kind of an empty slate uh, for this character from uh, that, that could have been super interesting. And you know what, uh, due to a major spoiler we'll talk about later, there's probably, if they are going to make a sequel, there's probably going to be some some of that sort of darkness in that. And, and I bet you they were, like, trying to save it, but they didn't do it right. They didn't do... They didn't... They, they're hedging their bets because it's uh, a Star Wars film, and they're like, it's too big to fail. And, well... <laughs> darkness can only, like... Darkness doesn't affect you as a switch, right? Like, like, the traumatic things you've gone through or the things you've done in your life are are sedimentary, right? Like, they're, they're mm -hmm. layers that are building up in your personality, in your psyche, in who you are. And so we can't have the darkness show up in her in the next one, right? Like, uh, we can't have... I mean, it's why Sith Lords are hilarious. Um, 
But <laughs> it's this problem, it's the Star Wars problem that we've dealt with a lot in video games uh, with morality choice systems where we've got a universe that is fundamentally black and white, right? You've got a universe sure. where it's dark side, light side. They've made that explicit. That's part of the universe. You have a character who's supposed to be gray, right? Um, and mm -hmm. this entire film is supposed to be about gray characters, but they can't really exist in a, in a, in a universe of dark side, light side. And so instead, they sort of either make them protagonists or villains. Um, and... I think here they had the opportunity, like they sort of did in Rogue One, to allow more of that grayness into the universe. I think I think it they should have, but it, they should have allowed more gray. But like every, you're 100 percent right. Even Solo at the end, and I won't spoil how, but even he, he you know, there's a, there's a there's a classic uh, end of a heist sort of switcheroo nine times of things going on, and. At the end of the day, the action that Han takes is still the most altruistic, even if he doesn't realize how altruistic, right. it's still an altruistic move, putting him in the camp of the good guys. I want to know, I wanted a story about, if I, if I even wanted a story, about Han Solo kind of being a scumbag. I want to see right. the scoundrel. I don't want to see this good-hearted boy who, who is overly excited about everything and then wants... Uh, and then gets caught up with the wrong crowd, and then, due to circumstances, becomes an outlaw. But not a scoundrel. He's not ever a scoundrel in this, right? Like, he's an outlaw, but not a scoundrel. And I want to see one of the two progressions, right? I either yeah. want to see how he goes from being that overly excited boy to becoming the disillusioned scoundrel who does bad things, or, and then... The later movies can redeem that arc. Sure. Or, I mean, the earlier, later movies time. You know. You know. Um, or I want to see it the other way around where you're right. He's actually a borderline villain, right, who we start to see how those cracks get in and how he might actually be looking for the redemption that the Rebellion offers him. Um, yeah. And we just get neither of those. No. So, so even though I will say I did enjoy um, Alden's performance of Han Solo, uh, outside the writing, with the, the the movie does nothing with him, but I liked his con it, he 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 physically acted like Harrison Ford would. I feel like like young Harrison Ford did, but he didn't try to do a voice. He didn't do a lot of like he took the physicality i think and didn't and did then did his own character with it which i think is the smart move because no one's gonna be harrison ford but harrison ford uh and then the other thing that kind of makes it a little bit weird is uh donald glover's lando calrissian is a spot-on billy d impression but it's an impression Right. And so when you have those, like, I feel like if they both went impression or they both went own character, it wouldn't have felt as awkward. Yes. But I kept pinging back and forth between like, okay, well, that's, I mean, he's, okay, he's Lando Calrissian. And this is Han Solo. This is, this is Han Solo. This, mm. so right. it was very, um, even, even tonally with character choices. Um, and who knows, maybe th that could have been too baked in even for Ron Howard to fix with a bunch of reshoots. Like, there's only so much you can do if you don't have... Uh, well, you have Disney money. That's the closest to infinite money you can have. <laughs> but even they don't have infinite money. Um, so, who, Someone in the chat said... Uh, Sainex said, uh, do you think it's likely they'll make a sequel after such a flop? And then, uh, let's see, someone also said that, oh, Disney has the money. Uh, it'll probably have at least one chance to fix the story. That's from Tropical Tower in the chat. I think they're gonna... I think Disney's and, not. Oh, they probably already, I was just to say they might already have it in the production timeline, right? Like, yeah, and they can they can make it. the The one thing they haven't had to do in a while is kind of uh, a Disney as a company with a franchise uh, a redemption arc. Uh, they they could look. This this is still the company that did figure out how to make the MCU work eventually. I mean, it was working before they bought it, but then continue to make it like a monster. Um, and work, I mean, for me, uh, <laughs> and 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 a lot of people. This, like Shahir, uh, Shahir, who loves MCU. Shahir does love the MCU it's very Shahir's much. Favorite thing, yeah. Uh, if Shahir <laughs> were here, we would get derailed on how much he loves the MCU. But Shahir ain't here, and right. so he. We, you know what? Let's stop talking about the MCU because Shahir would be so sad that it's he true. missed it. It's true. Um, 
so I think that they will do a sequel. I don't I don't know if it'll uh if it'll be Oh, a wild Zozo appears. So by the way, as There's far as sequels cat. go, they also have the option to take some of the characters from this and have them appear in someone else's story, someone else somewhere else in the prequel story, so they can resolve some of the things that they left as cliffhangers at the end. Um, without actually having a solo sequel. Um, I So there's a whole bunch of other issues that I had with this film. Um, what do you got? I, Lay them on me. All right, so the robot was actually one of these huge problems for me because uh, the robot is fundamentally right, correct? Like the robot is basically arguing for what in this universe is human rights. Um, in this case, it just happens to be robot rights. And they keep playing it off as a laugh, and like this person is, this thing is so silly for like asking for basic dignity. And the weird thing is, there's this moment where Donald Glover has to has to like laugh at and like, oh geez, this robot. And I will confess, having a black man have to like uh, basically dismiss someone asking for functionally basic dignity and the rights we're all expecting to have was a really weird moment in that film for me. Like that's yeah. not one of those things that you should necessarily plan for laughs, especially when you're showing things like cage matches, you're showing mass like slavery and slaves working in mines. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole time it's like, Oh, what a, what a silly robot for asking for rights. Right. It's not only that it, it's, it's, it's his reaction. I noticed uh, as well, but also I was curious about, so first of all, I think the performance of the droid uh, by Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, mm -hmm. L337 is the droid's name is a, is a good emotive performance for a droid yeah. I think the, the performance is solid but the, the, the script and what they have uh, they do with it the so it, it is played for laughs, even beyond just the Donald Glover moment Yeah, like Every time the droid says something about having droids having rights and consciousness in machines, which, you know, you could take that in a very interesting, I'm not saying make the whole movie around it, but you could yeah. play it for not a laugh and still have it be powerful. Uh, you and, and it would pay off what happens to that character more even later if you did that. Yeah. But instead, every time, it's not even characters reacting to the, the droid wanting basic uh, rights for a conscious being. But it's it's how the movie even frames those moments when it's just the droid. Like, it, it frames those moments instantly telling the audience, this is a joke. Right. And then compound that with the Donald Glover moment and a bunch of other stuff. And it was one of those things where I, I was so... I had heard nothing but good things about the droid. And then I saw how L3 was handled... By, how the movie handled L3. Yes. And I was like... Uh, are people not are do we not are we not seeing the same thing because it's it's weird and it's tone deaf and it's something that it honestly the more i'm thinking about it feels like more of a leftover from the previous directors making like a, a more guardians movie because if the whole movie i mean you could kind of i don't want to get into deadpool too but the, the, there's there's if you okay if you're gonna take a very 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 heavy subject like that and try to play it for a laugh, you better have a whole bunch of stuff around it leveling out what you're talking about and, and actually have a positive message to say behind it all. I don't think any version of this film does that, but I could see where a director or directors, if they were trying to make a different type of film, that could be left over from. Well, and here's the thing that I, I see. I think there is a version of this film that does it well, which is a darker version of this film, right? If any, if any Star Wars film is going to actually get into the darkness of the Star Wars universe, because it's a very bleak universe, right? Yeah. There's rampant slavery. There's all this kidnapping. There's like pod uh, racing, right? There's all these people like sold into horrible lives or eking out a bare existence where, like, in this highly technological universe, they're starving. Um, mm -hmm. And at the same time, we have this fascist empire sort of rolling over planets and, like, 
both enslaving people. I mean, you see what happens to the Wookiee in this one and what happens mm-hmm. to the people. And Solo is the movie to delve into the darker sides of the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that even though we get Solo experiencing some of those moments, right? When they go to the mine and we see what slavery in this universe really means, like there's a lot of opportunity there both to say things that are worth the saying and to show us that there's depth to this universe and that this universe is a complex and conflicted place. And they just, you're right, the way they play all these things, we just blow straight by that. It's outside of it. And it's funny because you could, you could even have, and I'm, I'm just sort of picturing in my mind's eye about what, the, what that whole sequence could have been. Hell, you know what? Keep the awkward weird tone-deaf Donald Glover part, keep a couple other things of humans being like, ah, stupid robot or whatever, but you need to have that robot when it is freeing the other robots. You need to have that robot not be a joke. You need to have that be the moment of, no, I am correct. I am doing the correct thing. Look at the correct thing I am doing. And like, you need to have it, the other robots that are also not be a joke because they were like the little ones stamping on the, the keyboard and stuff. Yeah. They need to celebrate that freedom, right? That mm-hmm. needs to that needs to be the heroic moment of the film. And it's funny because even there's a part where Han and Chewie are running down into the, the mines and <clears throat> Chewie sees other Wookiees that are also enslaved. And uh, he decides to go and help his friend or his people, uh, whatever. And that moment, like they, they never played the Wookiee enslavement uh, for a joke, really. I mean, I don't know. I'm getting into a weird sort of spirally hole of this thing, but like, there's just a lot of there's a there's so many holes in this movie. Like every time I'm like, but this was okay. Then I'm like, oh no, but then then they did this, and it's just it's very. It's very hard to it, this movie doesn't float well. You have right. to you have to be uh, you know uh, taking buckets of water out of the hull very very quickly to keep it afloat. Well, and even plot wise, like you were talking about an Ocean's Eleven type film, that's what I would have loved to have seen here, but it wasn't. They instead decided to do rather than have it all be about one big caper, they decided to do it about a dozen different sort of action sequences or a half dozen mm-hmm. really. Yeah, um, and. I don't fully understand that choice, and maybe it was because of the uh, production side, like you were saying, um, but it did feel to me like we were pasting together these various, like, like it felt like it was six 30-minute Saturday morning, like, yeah. episodes of Solo, um, and to me as a film... It just didn't hold together. And then there's all, like, the minor potholes. I mean, we can... If we want to pick together... Pick apart, like... All the small moments in this, there's a whole bunch of stuff that makes no sense. We can pick stuff apart. And we, we got about we got about 15 minutes left. So we can, we can do a lightning round of that if we need I don't, to. I don't know if we need to. I was just saying that, like, anyone who... I think anyone watching this film will see a group gotcha. of moments where... After the film or during the film, they're like, oh, wait... How does that plot point work? Like that makes no sense, right? Like the whether it be some of the stuff with transporting those high explosives, or when they throw grenades and blow up half the mine, or whatever it happens to be. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of moments that anyone who's seeing it will somewhere be like, that is either the most like random coincidence thing, or the film breaks its own rules. Like, what it says about some of this stuff, they're just not conscientious enough of what they've done in the past in the film itself to make it consistent with the film as it goes forward. Right, right. Um, so, again, we've been we've been talking some trash on Solo. James, is there anything in this movie that you actually liked? Where is that inkling of 40%? I believe you, you gave it a percentile of a one-and-a-half star. What, I what? was... When I walked into that theater, I was really hungry, and the popcorn was excellent. Okay. Uh, All right. So, actually, what actually is about this film? Um, I thought for the moment... So, one, there's a lot of cool visuals. You're absolutely right on that front. Um, I thought Woody Harrelson put in an excellent performance. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like he didn't have enough to work with, but I think for what he did, he put in an excellent performance. Um, So did Vision. I forget the actor's name. um, The villain guy. Oh, uh, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. Yes, Paul Bettany. He's great. Um, I thought he was really good. Uh, I feel like 
there were uh, the scene where they showed actual war and like what the ground troop experience is mm-hmm. in um, in Solo. Like that's the first time we really seen the being an Imperial grunt, not even being a stormtrooper, right? Being a grunt in the Imperium. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that was good. That I that gave me hope for the film that was later dashed, but that part was good. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, let's see what else do I got. Um, and it's okay if if that's it too. Like I I was just curious. I, I I'll say my favorite thing, and it's an easy thing, and it's a nostalgia thing, but they didn't mess it up. Was Chewbacca? I think Chewbacca and the way they met and how their interactions were throughout the film. I really, every time that they had an interaction, I smiled. So that's something. Can, uh, I, can I say that the very first when he's speaking, like, Wookie? Wookie, yeah, whatever the word for Wookiee language is, um, yep. I did find that a little, a little rough. But, um, but yes, I think that uh, that's, that's, a good piece, but that also depends on later films. Like, if this were self-contained, I don't think the relationship would have the same effect on me. But it's not self-contained, right? You can't have a Star Wars thing that's self-contained. What else? Right. What else did you like? Uh, I liked, there was a moment of restraint, James, near the end, and I don't want to, I'm going to, no, we might, we're at the I won't end go of the full, yeah, yeah I, I'm, it, it's a partial spoiler if you figure it out, but Han Solo, near the end of this film, is in a heated discussion with someone who betrayed him. And Han, before, the, the, the man basically says uh, something along the lines of like... Uh, but I and, mean, uh, and that's you a should always Star Wars reference. But hold on. he does. But I, maybe we're not talking about the sort of All same right, thing. See. I'm showing the, the moment of restraint. I forget the moment, but he's like... Basically, the guy's like, you're forgetting one of the most important lessons, and then Han shoots him. Right. But that's a reference to Han shooting first. Yes, but listen, this is what they could have had that said. I thought they'd walk over because the way the movie was going, I thought Woody Harrelson. Oh, oh, I brought, I spoiled it. I thought that Woody Harrelson would basically be like lying on the ground and be like, finish the line of like always shoot for like I. That's the level I was expecting of this movie at this point, and it didn't do that. It showed a minor amount of restraint. And I appreciate it. Right. So it just like winked at you and tapped its nose a lot rather than like doing that while saying what it was doing and explaining the joke to you. I will grant you that that is a thing that occurred. To me, that moment was even like, yes, it was more restrained than some of the other nostalgia moments. But even that moment, like if there's a way that we could have gotten there that leads to Khan being the type of person who shoots first that yes. I think would be powerful. And then having that moment go unsaid would be very good. I feel like when we got there, it still, to me, and maybe I'm more sensitive to this, it just like, it still felt a little bit winky. Um, and, uh, and that's, this is the problem. This is where I, t- I was talking about the two audiences, right? I feel like there's all this stuff that's thrown in there to be like, hey, you liked this thing, therefore you have to like the thing we're doing right now. Let me remind you of the thing we, you liked. Um, that was that was not... I will grant you it was more restrained than the rest, but it, it still isn't quite up there for me to too good yet. Because before that moment, let's not forget about the most unrestrained moment of this entire film. Uh, making phone calls with lightsabers in their hands. You know who I'm talking about. You wait, know. Wait, wait, remind me of this moment? All right, super spoiler. This is the last oh, big spoiler. Oh, yeah, the very, very end? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh it's so painful. So oh, Captain God. Robot Legs himself, Darth the Maul, shows up and is like Kira's new evil boss. And to prove how evil he is, while he's like, we're going to be working together, he like lights his up his lightsaber and like points it at the hollow cam. And I'm just like, wow, we're we're doing it. We're we're now granted, I don't follow Rebels, I don't follow the other animated Star Wars series. Apparently, Darth Maul's been in there for a while and he does take over the crime syndicates and he does some things and he's an actual major player. That's cool. 
I'd like to see those stories. I don't need the the bait the baited hook in this film. Uh, it, it felt the most. I was I was happy with the restraint it was showing, trying to not tie it together outside of just to the originals, basically. Mm -hmm. And then it was nope. We're this is not this is setting up not only the prequels are a thing. Remember those, but also. It's setting up that this is going that there's more to this story. It's it's right. sequelizing uh, in a place that I don't feel like was appropriate to do so. And it um, wasn't the way that after credit sequences of Marvel movies hint at future Marvel movies. Um, exactly. Uh, and so Sandex asks from the chat, um, "How would this movie stand up on its own if it was the beginning of the Star Wars universe rather than the background for a character?" To me, there wouldn't be a Star Wars universe, right? Um, yeah, I I really don't think this is functional either as a beginning or as an episode within this universe. I think this is a miss. There is a movie, and I want to say it's called Lockout, and it's starring uh, Guy Pierce, I believe. Maybe I'm entirely wrong about this, um, but no, it's not Guy Pierce. I'm gonna look it up. But basically, what Lockout is, it's Escape from New York, but in a space station to the point where they actually got sued. Um, by, um, by, uh, the people who made, uh, Escape from New York and Escape from L.A., uh, who's, who's in this movie? Oh, Guy Pierce. I was right. It's, it's that level. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but Solo feels to me like taking something that is already done better in another place and then doing it yourself, but it's, even though it's connected, it still feels like a knockoff. That's and what it felt like to me. It felt like... A young person writing fan fiction of Star Wars for Solo and being like, wouldn't it be cool if I established a way this was like them beginning the rebellion? What if I invented a new thing for that? What if I tied them to the Sith Lords? Like, there's all this stuff that felt like uh, exactly what you said, where it's been done and it's been done better. And if you've got the time and the budget of Disney and of Star Wars, that's not what we should be getting at this point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there, there's a question in the chat about who wrote this movie, uh, and that is an excellent question. It's actually a duo. It's a father-son duo of Jonathan Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, Jonathan Kasdan uh, has done a ton of film, or is he the son? He might be the son. It might be, uh, but basically it's a father-son duo that has been, uh, I mean, the he's done... Uh, Wyatt Earp. He did Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like this is a this is a, a veteran and his son writing this film. And apparently, the same script was used for both versions of this film, just done differently. So there's some issue there. But mm. one big, one big thing I want to talk about before we leave and do sort of a final thoughts thing is: Can we please talk about the character of Enfris Nest? Would you remind me which one was Enfris Nest? The one that looked like the Fallen from Destiny in the armor. Oh, the one that kept yeah. trying to steal the thing and then takes off the helmet to, a, to a, a huge scene of sort of like, you should know who this is, but right. we don't. I have a theory because the actress who plays uh, Enfris Nett, uh, Aaron Kelly, uh, Kellyman, looks like a combination of... Woody Harrelson and um, uh, why am I blanking on the actress's name? Oh, uh, Thadine uh, Newton. So the the Woody, Woody Harrelson's character and and the love interest of the character. And I thought that like, is this supposed to be his daughter? And so, it felt like once I knew that the world that the, that this movie had been so chopped up, I was like, I wonder if there's a thread here that they just axed because it so, was weird. So I thought I thought there was actually a line in there which made it at least implicit, if not explicit, that um, the Dean Newton was the one who actually called them in, who let them know about the train in the first one, because yes, that was the Dean Newton's daughter. I don't know if there's also Woody Harrelson's daughter, but it was okay. the Dean Newton's daughter, and that basically uh, the Dean Newton was functionally. Some part of the rebellion was a good guy the whole time she was an outlaw and like was the person oh. who was calling them in to get the to get the stuff for the rebellion in the first place. And that's why okay. when 
when Woody Harrelson says, no one else in the universe knows about this thing. Right. Um, right. So I think you're right. I mean, I think that's, I think that's what's going on there. But it's weird that, like, they're so killy in the first scene of, like... Yeah. Right. That um, and, and, and the fact... I, that reeks to be, too, of, like, if there was more importance put on that character's reveal in the original way the script was put together, the film was put together, you, you can remove that and still have it, you know function fine but they didn't remove the shots of the reveal and sticking with it a couple beats too long to like emphasize how important it is and you, you're just sort of left with the like well why didn't they change that and it's probably honestly because they didn't have that location anymore or something like it's it's yeah. it, it's probably something where they're like because one of the things that the original directors were fired before was not getting enough coverage shots Sure. The studio wanted coverage so they could change things in the edit, and they just weren't doing it. So there's a whole bunch of things that um, that that could have gone down. Um, so, oh, go, go go keep going. Oh, and if I want if you go, and then we're gonna get into final thoughts. Oh, so before, uh, my final thoughts. One of the things that I always ask is uh, when I'm looking at a film, I usually ask myself, "Is there a good director's cut?" Right? Like, is this a a film that fell apart? When I'm looking at a film that I don't think is is great, um, sure. I ask myself, like, is this just bad or is this a bunch of forces pulling it in a way that uh, kept it from being good, but there's a potentially good film in there that may never see a release but could, right? Sure. Um, and I would argue that The Last Jedi, to me, was decent, not great, mm. but I think there's an amazing director's cut somewhere of the Last Jedi, or at least that it's possible that there's an amazing director's cut of the Last Jedi. There's an, there's enough that they hinted at or were working with that seemed to get truncated um, that could make it great. Sure. What are your thoughts? Is there is there salvage here, or is this just were the wrong things cut, or was there just nothing, no, no way to edit this to be good? I think. That we the, the film we saw is the director's cut that you wonder if you get from other films. I think this is the best possible. Ron Howard is a beast. Yeah. He ha he's one of my favorite working directors. He knows his stuff, and he came in and doctored the heck out of this entirety and did what he could do for the amount of money they were willing to spend. Yeah. This is that cut. You will never get a better cut. Now, granted. I don't want to say that the film that um, the original directors, uh, Lord and uh, Miller, were make was making would have been bad. But there's not enough of it or it wasn't going the right way that Disney wanted, so they, they, they literally trashed it. I don't even think you could put it together in that way if you wanted to at this point. Uh, again, it, a lot because of the coverage thing. And actually, uh, DJ Alternative in the chat said asked to quickly explain what coverage is for people who don't know. Uh, coverage is basically when you're shooting a scene, you either, depending on how many cameras you have, depending on if you have Disney money or not, uh, you basically shoot the scene from multiple angles or multiple times after you move your camera so that then you can cover uh, flubs or, or if something goes wrong or something doesn't feel exactly right in one or another, you can cut from one camera to another camera. Um, at, a, at, a, at a pace that doesn't feel jarring and the audience will be sort of... I mean, you'd know it if you were looking, but it's supposed to, editing is supposed to feel like you don't notice it a lot of the right. time. So that's what coverage is. Uh, so so with, with all that said, this is your director's cut. Sadly, this is what Solo, a Star Wars story, will be. Um, and I guess my final thoughts are... I... Again, I give this a solid... 50-50, half of whatever rating system you want to give it. It did not... I don't feel like my time was wasted, but I also did not gain anything, and there are ways of thinking that says if you didn't gain anything from your time, then you lost it. I understand that, but I... It's funny, I... I 
enjoy talking about it with you, James, and with other people. But I think next week this isn't going to be something that I'm discussing. Right. Um. So, but I, but I do think there, there's there's moments of of enjoyable things, especially if you're a diehard Star Wars fan that you'll like. But you're not going to see anything new. And it does all feel very much like fan service, and it stumbles on the things that it tries to inject that would basically be new blood into the franchise. But the, but again, and this is the final thing I'll say about it, the reason why I give it a 50% uh, is basically because going into this, my expectations were just like the title, James. They were so low. I was going to put that as the uh, stream title spelled. There exactly you go. Right. There you go. That's um, what it is. But for so, my final thoughts, my final thought is just that it's time for Star Wars to start taking some risks. Yeah. Yeah, it has to, or else it's going, it's not going to, it's not going to go the way you think. Uh, <laughs> and then that's going to be the end. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listening at home and in the Twitch chat, this has been the only podcast about the film Solo, A Star Wars Story. James, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to merge our, our movie shows uh, and, and save Shahir from having to sit through this. You saved a New Zealander's life. Thank you for letting me play the part of Shahir in this, in this episode. And, and I appreciate Thank you for having me on the only podcast about Solo this week. That's right. <laughs> or ever. I, look, ever I, don't period, deal, right. I don't deal in multiple timelines. Absolutes. And I'd like to thank you too, James, for not for making Shahir your own character and not trying to do the accent or the mannerisms. Like you really <laughs> just sort of made the role your own. Um, when you are not filling a very tall New Zealander's shoes, where can folks find you these days? People can find me writing scripts for you uh, on extra credits. Um, so if you go to YouTube slash extra credits, you will find shows about history, about science fiction, about game design, and that's what I do. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see some of you there. Yes, please. Everybody come check that out. I've been, I've been singing the, the praises of this long before I was podcasting, long before I became friends with you, James, and long before I became, uh, uh, a, 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 a member of the extra credits family. Uh, so you need to go check out all that stuff. We have a great episode. My first episode is out now, uh, and you should check that out. It's uh, it's it's a good one. You will you will like it, especially if you're into um, well, let's just call it new technologies. If you'd like to if you'd like to see that, uh, but you can find me other than extra credits. You can find me at my Twitter at Emperor MSK or on Instagram at Skeletor the number four P R E Z, and finally at M A T T H E W K R O L dot com for my life and works. Um, this has been awesome, James. Uh, again, thank you. And I guess, uh, until, until next time, let's, let's, next time you're on the show, James, let's do, let's do something that's not superhero or, uh, or Star Wars. What, so what would be Star the, Trek what would movie. be the, we're doing a Star Trek movie. <laughs> we're doing Star Trek. We're going to do Star Trek Generations and that's it. Forever. We're just going to do a dozen podcasts in a row on Star Trek Generations. I'm in. I, no, I'm I love not. it. I'm really not. No, oh, never. Well, no. I, thought, I thought we had him. Anyway, we will, uh, I'll see y'all next week, and Shahir will be back. So tune in for that. Later. Bye.